0: Section seventy five of the Expedition of Humphrey Clinker This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Deborah Lynn The Expedition of Humphrey Clinker by Tobias Smollett Section seventy five to Dr. Lewis Dear Dick since the last trouble i gave you i have met with a variety of incidents some of them of a singular nature which i reserve as a fund for conversation but there are others so interesting that they will not keep in petto till meeting No, then it was a thousand pounds to a sixpence that you should now be executing my will instead of perusing my letter two days ago our coach was overturned in the midst of a rapid river where my life was saved with the utmost difficulty by the courage, activity, and presence of mind of my servant Humphrey Clinker. But this is not the most surprising circumstance of the adventure. The said Humphrey Clinker proves to be Matthew Lloyd, natural son of one Matthew Lloyd of Glamorgan, if you know any such person. You see, Doctor, that notwithstanding all your philosophy, it is not without some reason that the Welshmen ascribe such energy to the force of blood but we shall discuss this point on some future occasion. This is not the only discovery which I made in consequence of our disaster. We happened to be wrecked upon a friendly shore. The lord of the manor is no other than Charles Denison, our fellow-rake at Oxford. We are now happily housed with that gentleman who has really attained to that pitch of rural felicity at which I have been aspiring these twenty years in vain. He is blessed with a consort whose disposition is suited to his own in all respects, tender, generous, and benevolent. She, moreover, possesses an uncommon share of understanding, fortitude, and discretion, and is admirably qualified to be his companion, confidant, counsellor, and coadjutrix. These excellent persons have an only son, about nineteen years of age, just such a youth as they could have wished that heaven would bestow to fill up the measure of their enjoyment in a word they know no other allay to their happiness but their apprehension and anxiety about the life and concerns of this beloved object our old friend who had the misfortune to be a second brother was bred to the law and even called to the bar but he did not find himself qualified to shine in that province and had very little inclination for his profession he disobliged his father by marrying for love without any consideration of fortune so that he had little or nothing to depend upon for some years but his practice, which afforded him a bare subsistence, and the prospect of an increasing family began to give him disturbance and disquiet. In the meantime his father, dying, was succeeded by his elder brother, a fox-hunter and a sot, who neglected his affairs, insulted and oppressed his servants, and in a few years had well-nigh ruined the estate. when he was happily carried off by a fever, the immediate consequence of a debauch. Charles, with the approbation of his wife, immediately determined to quit business and retire into the country, although this resolution was strenuously and zealously opposed by every individual whom he consulted on the subject. Those who had tried the experiment assured him that he could not pretend to breathe in the country for less than the double of what his estate produced, that in order to be upon the footing of a gentleman he would be obliged to keep horses, hounds, carriages with a suitable number of servants, and maintain an elegant table for the entertainment of his neighbours that farming was a mystery known only to those who had been bred up to it from the cradle, the success of it depending not only upon skill and industry, but also upon such attention and economy as no gentleman could be supposed to give or practice. Accordingly, every attempt made by gentlemen miscarried, and not a few had been ruined by their prosecution of agriculture. Nay, they affirmed that he would find it cheaper to buy hay and oats for his cattle, and to go to market for poultry, eggs, kitchen-herbs, and roots, and even the most inconsiderable article of housekeeping, than to have those articles produced on his own ground. These objections did not deter Mr. Dennison, because they were chiefly founded on the supposition that he would be obliged to lead a life of extravagance and dissipation, which he and his consort equally detested, despised, and determined to avoid. The objects he had in view were health of body, peace of mind, and the private satisfaction of domestic quiet, unallayed by actual want and uninterrupted by the fears of indigence he was very moderate in his estimate of the necessaries and even of the comforts of life he required nothing but wholesome air pure water agreeable exercise plain diet convenient lodging and decent apparel he reflected that if a peasant without education or any great share of natural sagacity could maintain a large family, and even become opulent upon a farm for which he paid an annual rent of two or three hundred pounds to the landlord, surely he himself might hope for some success from his industry, having no rent to pay, but on the contrary three or four hundred pounds a year to receive. He considered that the earth was an indulgent mother that yielded her fruits to all her children without distinction. He had studied the theory of agriculture with a degree of eagerness and delight and he could not conceive there was any mystery in the practice, but what he should be able to disclose by dint of care and application. With respect to household expense, he entered into a minute detail and investigation by which he perceived the assertions of his friends were altogether erroneous. He found he should save sixty pounds a year in the single article of house rent, and as much more in pocket-money and contingencies, that even butcher's meat was twenty per cent cheaper in the country than in London but that poultry and almost every other circumstance of housekeeping might be had for less than one-half of what they cost in town, besides a considerable saving on the side of dress and being delivered from the oppressive imposition of ridiculous modes invented by ignorance and adopted by folly. As to the danger of vying with the rich in pomp and equipage, it never gave him the least disturbance. He was now turned of forty, and having lived half that time in the busy scenes of life, was well skilled in the science of mankind. There cannot be in nature a more contemptible figure than that of a man who, with five hundred a year, presumes to rival in expense a neighbour who possesses five times that income. His ostentation, far from concealing, serves only to discover his indigence, and render his vanity the more shocking, for it attracts the eyes of censure, and excites the spirit of inquiry. There is not a family in the county, nor a servant in his own house, nor a farmer in the parish, but what knows the utmost farthing that his lands produce? and all these behold him with scorn or compassion. I am surprised that these reflections do not occur to persons in this unhappy dilemma and produce a salutary effect. But the truth is, of all the passions incident to human nature, vanity is that which most effectually perverts the faculties of the understanding. Nay, it sometimes becomes so incredibly depraved as to aspire at infamy and find pleasure in bearing the stigmas of reproach. I have now given you a sketch of the character and situation of Mr. Denison when he came down to take possession of this estate. But as the messenger, who carries the letters to the next town, is just setting off, I shall reserve what further I have to say on this subject till the next post, when you shall certainly hear from yours always, Matt Bramble, October 8. End of section 75